Welcome to Is There, 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 episode 75, the Mission Statement Edition. I am Patience Jones. With me is Brian Jones. Hello. And this week, thanks to a court in California, I bet you think we're going to say that we can't broadcast, but you're wrong. This week, thanks to a court in California, we are going to be talking about the Mission Statement. By way of backstory, a court in California that is currently involved in overseeing the investigation and trial of those accused of the San Bernardino shootings, the government wants to go in and look at what was on those defendants' phones leading up to and during the shootings, which are a terrible thing. That's not even up for debate. However, they were using iPhones. There isn't any way for the government to easily jailbreak the phones, as anyone who has an iPhone knows. So what the government has asked the court and what the court has very surprisingly agreed to is the government wants Apple to make a device that will allow the U.S. Attorney's Office to jailbreak the iPhones. And the court said yes. So the court has entered an order requiring Apple to manufacture this device, give it to the government, and then let the government jailbreak the phones. Just this one time. Just just this one time. Just this once. Not your phone. Don't worry. Tim Cook has said, initially they said, okay, fine, we'll do this. And then a couple hours later, which is probably about when Tim Cook found out that they had agreed to do it, Tim Cook said, absolutely not, no way. This is our brand. This is our product. This is what we stand for. We don't let people jailbreak our phones, period. And we're certainly not going to make a device that lets you jailbreak our phones. This goes back to Apple's quote unquote mission statement. Mission statement can be used, as we have seen, a variety of different ways in a company. Some companies, like Apple, take it very, very seriously and say, these are our core principles. We're not deviating from these core principles. And in this case, you will probably have to take me away in handcuffs because I'm not going to deviate from those principles. Most people on permission statements, they tend to look at them as, oh, we're going to write this really lofty copy and this will be on our about page of our website and then we will never, ever think about it again. And it really, at core, yeah, we'd love to be this company. We'd love to be the people that we say that we are on this about page. But at the end of the day, it's a paragraph or two or maybe three on a page that we then forget about as in the core practice of our day to day. I want something to etch on a piece of wood and hang in our office lobby. So let's make a mission statement. And probably if you asked anybody that worked there, what are the core values of the company? Well, I don't know. Or the core values are something very much like platitudes. We strive for greatness. We strive for, you know, (laughs) we want to help people, right? Like, Mm -hmm. I don't even know what that means. So when is it useful to have a mission statement and mission statement as an articulation of core principles? When is it useful to have that? When does it become an impediment? And if you currently have one, what should you do with it besides knit it on a pillow? I would love to see companies stop having mission statements in the traditional sense, which are these lofty, carefully worded, very careful, not to offend sort of statements that say this is what we do and put it on a website and then they forget about it. I'd love to see a complete death of that. I just feel like it doesn't, it's not the principles or the framework that you live by as a company. As the alternative to that, what would you like to see? What would I mean, for me, what I really want to see in the work that you do and the things that you're involved in and the organizations that you support, you are clearly living that framework. Essentially, what I'm asking for is a set of rules that are your company or your brand and you live by them. So what should be the point of the mission statement? If you 
live by them, is it that it's reflecting what you already do or it's trying to get you to do something different? Yes. I think yeah. it's a little, a little both. A really good corporate set of rules would be both reflective and aspirational. When you look back at some of the ones that were pretty bold, like at Google's, you know, we'll do no wrong, which we're going to back Query away from a little bit. But, yeah. that. but, you know, that's a really... It was a very bold statement and very simple in their early days, especially that was sort of a sounding board that they threw every idea against to see, like, does it still resonate with that core idea of do no wrong? And I would love to see more companies really embrace the notion that whatever they choose as their their rules or their framework that it matters in the way that they act and the way that they conduct themselves as a company. The most useful thing for a mission statement, to your point, it does give you a framework. If you start out as a really small company, and that could be, you know, 10 people, but you kind of all start off with the same things in mind, the same principles, everybody more or less agrees on day one. Mm -hmm. Five years later, let's hypothesize the company's really grown. Maybe you have shareholders you have more people involved in the decision making and everybody isn't going to be on the same page all the time. If you have something that you can refer back to and say, these are our core principles and this decision, there's only one way to go that matches with our core principles. So these other things are off the table. That can be incredibly helpful. And if you decide as a company that you want to change the mission statement for some reason, that's a whole project in and of itself. Well, I look at like Facebook and their ongoing, you know, when they, they would change their terms of service and it, it's not exactly a mission statement, but for them, it really, it embodied a lot of the same ideas and they would make a change to that and people would lose their minds or had to develop a whole protocol for involving people in the process of changing it. And I think they're a unique entity where people are a part of the brand in a way and a daily experience. So it's not, I don't think that's necessarily applicable to a lot of other companies, but I do think that when you make these changes, they, and you're making a shift, it's important to reflect that and to let people know that you are making a shift because when they go to those values, if you're, again, publishing them out there and putting them that these are the, the framework that you your company lives by and suddenly you aren't doing that anymore. It doesn't resonate with people and you risk losing your customer base. I think Facebook is a great example because until it went public, it more or less was Mark Zuckerberg kind of deciding to do what he wanted to do based yep. on what he wanted to do that day. If I get really angry about something that he's done, but he's never said that that thing is important to him, I can get angry, but it's not like he's... He did know, make a claim. Yeah. Right. Once you have the shareholders and everybody else involved, then you have to start to say, okay, what are we doing as a company besides just satisfying whatever my whim is on that day? So if you're in the boardroom of a company and you're having this meeting where somebody has, you can almost hear the groan happening saying, mm -hmm. let's craft the mission statement because it's, it's almost like you're making it up. Well, and I think as an initial standpoint, that conversation is never going to initially arise in the boardroom. What's going to happen is they're going to announce a retreat and everybody is going to go on a retreat to, <laughs> to write make, the mission statement yeah. because everybody thinks like, well, we have to get out of our heads and we have to get out of the company, which is exactly the wrong thing to do. There's lots of good reasons to have company retreat. Creating the mission statement is not one of them yeah. because being removed from everything about your business to write about your business's core principles is pretty counterproductive. Well, it's also is where you end up with those sort of lofty statements that don't really say anything and aren't actually reflective of the company that you are. The more that you go down that path, I think the less useful it is as a business tool. And that's kind of where I would get at this is that there isn't any there there for the mission statements that are these empty rhetoric. Community that are, building exercises. Right. Yeah. 
But there is a lot of value to one that serves as a framework that you can look at as a company and say, yeah, that's who we are. And this fits who we are as a company. And as both an employee and a shareholder, it's a useful tool for both of those groups. Because if I'm an investor and I'm looking down the road to how is this company going to make decisions going forward? How are they going to perform? Yes, I can look at their history, but I can also look at, okay, these are their core principles. So chances are these are the decisions that they're going to keep making. And I can decide that that's a good investment or not. Switching back to the top of the message with the Apple uh, component of this equation, and they've sort of drawn a line in the sand and they've said that this idea of privacy or protecting the user's privacy is core our identity. One of two things is likely to happen here. The first is that they ultimately comply or are forced to comply with the court order. And the second is that they don't. In the instance that they have to comply, what's the messaging look like? What's What do you do in that situation? Do you think counteract that move? Because essentially you've been forced to do something and everybody knows that you've been forced to do this. You can no longer say we will never do this. Right. And then the question becomes, when's the next time you're going to do it? And under what circumstances will you do it? And what happens when Tim Cook isn't in charge anymore? Does it become worse? I don't see a world in which Apple complies. They may offer some sort of compromise. I don't even know what that would be, but I don't see them saying, okay, we'll agree to make this thing. Possible outcomes could be that they throw Tim Cook in jail for, you know, some nominal amount of time to quote unquote teach a lesson. They could hit Apple with fines, which, you know, I mean, <laughs> the look right the ahead. Ca- the look know? into the couch cushions to exactly. find the pennies. Yeah. Or they could find, the court could commission some other company to create a device that would unblock, that would jailbreak the phone and it wouldn't be well there's a lot of reports already out this morning about the various things that they could do to get around this and it really boils down to some methods of getting the data are more expensive than others i think it's interesting that it's in a california court because apple is definitely a darling in california and a lot of tax revenue goes to the state of california fair enough from apple i don't know if apple refuses to comply i'm not sure what that looks like down the road what the regulators will do to exact their pound of flesh going in some forward, other way, right? You know, exactly. and institute laws that say you can no longer produce phones or sell them in the United States if you can't jailbreak them. Fair enough. Well, Godspeed. Any other takeaways that you think are important for companies? Switching back again, sorry for the switcher, switcheroo <laughs> there, but uh, uh, switching back for companies that are looking at crafting a framework for their their company and are hoping to make it worthwhile as opposed to just a exercise in futility. Don't call it a mission statement. It's too fluffy. It's too like... Comes with too much baggage. Yeah. Call it the statement of core principles. Don't even call it statement of core values because that's just so overused and nobody cares. These are our principles as a company. Yep. And it should be, to your point, as straightforward as possible. You yeah. Know? Don't get hung up. It could be a bullet point list. Like, yeah. Make it something that people can really post on a wall and you see it every day and it's something that is part of every part of your decision making process it has to be well and don't think of it as how will this sound when it's read aloud at some luncheon where our board of directors is getting an award yeah, you're not you that. can write other copy for that think of it as how does this work if i'm faced with a tough decision does this give me the tools to know which way i should go on that all right let's uh move on to what's now what do you what do you have pj well i haven't <laughs> i have another legal sort of a situation here last week the Supreme Court issued a decision um, that was premised on science, which is 
and psychological science, which we is still have science. kind of cool. I know. I think that's the thing is that I find it very refreshing. So in a nutshell, there was a case in 2014 that the Supreme Court held that it was unconstitutional to impose the death penalty on anyone under 18. And that case relied on neuroscience and psychological science and quoted scientific journals to say the evidence shows somebody under the age of 18 does not have enough of a fully formed brain and their personality traits are still transient. So it's really unfair to impose the death penalty because the person has the capacity to change. Just last week, there was another Supreme Court decision that quoted from the earlier decision, relying on the science to say that not only is it unconstitutional to have death penalty for people under 18, but for anyone who is sentenced as a juvenile to a mandatory life imprisonment, retroactively, that person has to be given the opportunity to show that they've changed. And if they can demonstrate at a parole hearing that they've changed, then they should be let go from prison. Wow. So it's interesting because it's the Supreme Court acknowledging and therefore validating the science that doesn't really need to be validated, but it really helps think about people's brains and how they form prior to adulthood. When they're more risk averse, they're more susceptible to outside influences, their personalities are not set in stone. So I thought it was really interesting. And I think now that the Supreme Court has yet again relied on it, I'm thinking you might see it work its way into other areas. Well, my now is... With your formed brain. Exactly. Yes. My now is uh, about the Brexit, uh, which is the British exit from the EU or the one that they're fast and furiously trying to negotiate not happening. And what I'm really interested, it kind of it dovetails with a little bit what we talked about at the top of the show, where the idea of, of a brand of a or an idea, and I think the EU sort of represents the embodiment of that, not so much a country, but an idea of a <laughs> block of countries getting together and trying to forge a union, as it were. But now Britain maybe not so excited uh, based upon the variety of issues, you know, not immigration is one of them, the way that welfare system works in, in the UK and making it apply differently to different parts of European countries that might want to move to the UK and then also offering maybe unfair advantages in the financial industry. Those are all really pressing issues that are important to them. But what I find most interesting is the idea of if it comes to pass that the UK does exit from the EU portion of it that it participates. What is it, what becomes of that idea? And I think that's kind of what is driving the, the theme of the show today is the idea of how do you how do you deal with changes that inevitably occur both positively and negatively in this this instance? What does the EU, how does it own this? The spin on it will have to be oh we didn't want you anyway. Or they were too demanding and we couldn't possibly Right and demands. too high maintenance and now none of us will be broke anymore because we can stop subsidizing the UK or whatever ridiculous yarn will be spun. I don't think that's the reality. And I think that if this is just my personal opinion, I think if the EU is a three-legged stool, the UK is like two of those legs. Yeah. I think it certainly becomes more anemic. To your point, the UK's participation, they're not on the Euro. Right. They are still technically part of it. And they've come to a point where they realize the headache is worth more than what they're getting back. Either they'll negotiate in the next couple of weeks and find a way or they'll have a couple of years of like figuring out how to how to exit. So that'll be interesting 
to see. Yeah. Godspeed to whoever's trying to negotiate amongst all those leaders parties. with yeah. such disparate interests. So what do you have for next? This really cool exhibit that just opened at Pratt in Manhattan. It's called Coded Couture. True to code form, it's coded underscore couture. And it's an exhibition that runs through April. And it's got 10 designers from all over the world. And they've created different pieces of clothing that are dependent upon some sort of programming or computer code. Wow. Some examples are a capelet made of feathers that responds to the wearer's heartbeat mm -hmm. and fluctuations in the heartbeat. So they're calling it like the ruffled feathers cape because your feathers actually will ruffle when you get upset. There's a gold-plated cage dress that shocks the user when it detects that a lie is being told. <laughs> and there's a cocktail dress that uses eye-tracking technology to change how it looks depending on who's looking at it and how they're looking at it. Fascinating. It looks really cool. Responsive clothing. Yes. That's really cool. I want the capelet. That does sound really I don't want to be so, I don't want people to be able to read me quite so well. Well, I think but it's I the, want the capelet. But I think it's the first step in the natural evolution of clothing and where it will likely head, which is this sort of integration of what we already carry around with us. I think we're going to start to see the fusion of the device, which we hold in our hand, becoming part of the clothes that we wear. And that's just a, an inevitability. What would be really amazing is if they could use eye tracking technology to make like a sweater for women and then across the the chest if the person's looking at your chest it just says like eyes up here with an arrow <laughs> that's totally gonna happen that should happen somebody make that brian what do you got i've been really interested in the health data that is coming out of a lot of the devices that are on the market and there are a couple of new apps that are that are coming out one is called instant and it's both for android and for ios and what it does is it takes all of the data that can possibly be gathered through your various experiences most tracked through your smartphone and it gives you in an instant where you are what you've done that day, not just the number of steps that you walked and that, like when you went to sleep, when you woke up, where you went, what places you went. And Gyroscope is the other one that offers a much more full-bodied, uh, because it integrates with a greater number of apps. What it's essentially doing is giving you, and this is the tagline for Instant, which is uh, the Google Analytics for your life, allowing you to have a much more accurate view of yourself maybe than the view that you have when you don't have all these tracking points. For me, wow. I like the start of this. I don't think it's useful yet. I think it may be crippling for a number of people yeah. on making progress on things, but I think having that, no, this is this is what you did this week and this is what it you know what it amounted to wow yeah. i have really mixed feelings about that on the one hand i think like oh how great it could really work with the coded couture fashion and you could do all manner of things it seems like something that potentially has more use for people besides the user like it's the kind of data that you'd want if you were an insurance company well and a parole officer again referencing the top of the show jailbroken phones yeah that have access to this data then it's like this aggregator of data what is their policy what are they oh yeah i mean so there's no way like i don't care what the disclaimers are there's no way that that data is private no there's just no way but in a way the devices that we are wearing and we're carrying they store an enormous amount of it's like a, a hard drive full of of experiences that you've had and will have and some of those are very private and some are everybody already knows about it's we're in interesting territory essentially when you're thinking about how that interacts in a business setting where does that cross the line into information that is accessible to a company i think there's a lot of yeah. new territories that we'll be finding ourselves in, in the very short term if you install it on a phone that the company pays for then guess what 
Enjoy. Well, thank you so much for listening to this episode of Is There, 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 the Mission Statement Edition. We have enjoyed the opportunity to share some ideas this week. Please feel free to participate in the conversation at facebook.com slash graphic machine inc. We'll have a posting of the show. Also, if you care to chat with us, visit us at Twitter at their podcast, which is the show's handle and or the agency handle at graphic machine. And we look forward to speaking with you next week. Have a good one.